The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Moore, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmoore.com. Uh, some say that nothing good happens after midnight. And uh, I, that's definitely true if you're young and stupid like I was. Uh, the summer between my high, uh, senior year of high school and my freshman year of college when I almost drowned. Um, my friends and I were bored one night and we got the bright idea to go swimming at midnight. And of course, you're not going to find a community pool that is open that late at night. So the best thing that we could find uh, was a public beach. And so we went out to Bush Lake out in West Bloomington, and, uh, which of course was closed, but had uh, access to the water. Uh, at the uh, public beach at Bush Lake, there is this floating dock, and it's still there, uh, that's a good distance away from uh, the shore. And so, of course, that's where we all had to get to. We, we, we jumped in the water, and we, we, we started heading out there, and we were off, and very quickly I realized that I was falling behind, seriously behind, and I was utterly gasped, uh, gassed. But I wasn't just exhausted from swimming hard. My asthma had kicked in, and uh, I was losing the battle uh, to breathe in the middle of nowhere in this lake at midnight. And I finally made it to the floating dock. I barely got myself on the ladder. And I laid myself in a deck full of goose poop. Not <laughs> having a care in the team. She was also a uh, lifeguard and a water safety instructor. And uh, so I asked her, I said, uh, you know, what, what is a swim stroke that requires the, the, the least amount of energy to get me back? And, and so she advised, you know, it's probably best that you just the elementary backstroke all the way back, because at least then you can have air and, you know, whatever. I don't understand all that. Um, and she was very kind and swimming with me all the way back to shore. So imagine the scene now. Uh, this police officer shows up, up uh, presumably to kick us out of the park and probably to give us a citation for trespassing. And uh, two of our group members made it back very quickly. And here I am in this officer's mind, taking my sweet time, doing the backstroke, 
you know, just calmly and coolly getting there, when in reality I am trying to stay alive. And by the time I reached the shore, I was so exhausted that I was staggering from side to side. So you kind of understand what he's thinking. And so I, I go in front of him, and I, I can't breathe, and I'm gasping, and then I threw up right in front of him, just twice, right in front of him. And he rightfully and understandably so, looking back at it now, says, son, have you been drinking tonight? And I said, no, I just have asthma. And he let us go. And I'm thinking, man, I should have used that excuse a whole lot more in my life. But uh, two things that I learned from that night was, number one, it's good to be alive. And the second thing that I learned that night is that water can be absolutely terrifying. There is a legitimate fear of death when you are in the middle of a lake with nothing to hold on to and losing steam while not being able to breathe well under the darkness of night. And this morning, we're going to continue on this series of our values here at Emmanuel. And uh, one of those that we value is the, uh, the practice of baptism. And we can learn a lot about baptism through my experience on Bush Lake, because in baptism, we are given the terrifying image of being submerged into a type of death that is just as radical as physical death. The image of our old selves being submerged and drowned and left behind, yet the new person being brought up to the newness of life uh, in Jesus Christ. And so what baptism, uh, it reenacts physically a spiritual death and a resurrection, and it points to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has died for us, that Jesus has risen for us, and it is incumbent upon us, every one of us who bears the name of Jesus Christ through faith, ought to be baptized biblically. And this message is for you if you have placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have not yet taken that step of faith or obedience to the command of Christ to be baptized. Jesus is calling you today to come to the waters and identify with him and his people. This message is for you if you were, if you were baptized as an infant. Um, it's a challenge for you to keep an open mind and an open heart about what the scriptures say about what baptism is and who should be baptized. And this message is for you if you've already been plunged underneath the waters of baptism to renew your baptismal vows, not to be baptized again, but to renew your commitment to Christ uh, above all. So <clears throat> it might be midnight of your soul, and the floating dock seems so far away, and you're gasping for air, but when it comes to baptism, it is okay to submit to the death of your old self and display the resurrection that happened when you trusted in Christ. So let's get into the particulars of why we value uh, scriptural baptism. The first is that we should consider scriptural baptism as a form of identity. It is a form of identity. Uh, let's turn primarily to Matthew chapter 3 if you have your Bibles with you. 
when we talk about the concept of identity, we're asking the question, who are you? What defines you? What makes you who you are at your very core? Now, that's naturally a very good thing for us to ask because there's something that is hardwired in every single one of us that desires to know where we fit in this world and where we, uh, where we belong. Because everybody strives for meaning and purpose in life, we will often hear statements today that begin with the words, I identify as fill in the blank. Now, if you would have asked someone 50 years ago or even 20 years ago, what do you identify as, they would have looked at you like you're crazy. Because their identity was just something that, that wasn't questioned. It was in their family. It was in their community that they lived in. It was their work. It was uh, those things, their, their, their job, their hobbies. But with the advent of the internet and social media, the idea of community has, has uh, expanded beyond the, the local. Today, you can find community with some of the most normal or some of the most bizarre things in community. Uh, this has led to a cultural identity crisis. And it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to pan out in the next uh, uh, few decades. But for those of us that are in Christ, there shouldn't be any sort of identity crisis. We are in Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus um, and uh, any allegiance that we hold to the world ought to get pushed back. And our allegiance to Christ ought to be the first and foremost of who we are. In the New Testament, that identity is claimed when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. When Christ becomes our Lord and Savior. And it is publicly sealed in baptism. And when I mean sealed, I don't mean that your salvation is then complete. We are complete in Christ and in Christ alone. Uh, but baptism does seal us with the mark of Christ. Think about uh, when you buy a product, you know, looking at this guitar right now. It is sealed with the name Taylor. It tells us that this came from Taylor. You think about shoes. You might have a Nike emblem or you might have Adidas or something. That tells us something about the identity of the shoemaker. And so when it comes to baptism, it is a sort of seal that is placed on us to show that we are of Christ. It shows the world that we have been made new in the company of Christ. Hence, in the New Testament, there is no such thing as an unbaptized Christian. In every single instance, when a person comes to faith, they are baptized. That's why a, a guy named Schnackenberg, I love that name, Schnackenberg, uh, he wrote this in one of his commentaries. Paul would not understand it if anyone refused to be baptized. To him, it would, uh, such an attitude would no longer be genuine faith. Why? Because baptism is intimately connected to our identity in Christ. But that identity with Christ could only come because Jesus first identified with us. In Matthew chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist was having a very successful ministry, uh, preparing people for the coming of the Lord and primarily through repentance. And in verse, uh, starting in verse 13, the text tells us, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? 
So understand what, what he was saying here. The baptism that he was delivering was reserved for people who needed repentance. People who were sinful by nature and, who, uh, and by choice of whom John was one of them. Jesus, on the other hand, was fully God and fully man. Sinless in his very being. And he needed no repentance. And John recognized this and said, I need to be baptized by you, yet you come to me? And which Jesus then answered, allow it now, uh, for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. So the question is, is if John's baptism was reserved only for those who needed repentance, then why did the sinless Son of Man need to be baptized? And the answer can be somewhat confusing. In, when Jesus said, this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness, he was not insinuating that, that baptism somehow uh, fulfills some sort of righteous requirement in order for us to be entered into the kingdom of, of heaven. But was, he was saying that he must complete his mission of complete righteousness, and through baptism, his righteousness is being fulfilled in the sense that he is identifying with sinful humanity. By being baptized, Jesus is saying, I am one of you. I am here to identify with those who are lost and in need of redemption. Doesn't mean he was taking on a sinful nature on himself. But he is saying that in order to be our perfect substitute, he must perfectly be one of us. And in his baptism, he is publicly identifying with you and with me. So then when we enter into the waters of baptism, we are declaring our identity with Jesus. Look how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 6. He said, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may too walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we might, uh, may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So it's clear that something happens within the, the act of baptism that um, Christ has identified with us and we identify with him. And in that identification, there is also a, a sense in which we identify with our brothers and sisters in the church 
and them with us. Look at Ephesians chapter, um, I believe it's chapter 4 here, starting in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all in, and in all. In other words, baptism is that pivotal, pivotal event in the life of a believer that unites us together and identifies us with each other. This is one of the primary reasons why we here at Emmanuel require uh, baptism by immersion for membership. Because baptism is one of those big ways that you display that you have identified with Jesus. Jesus has identified with you. And now you identify with the church, your brothers and sisters. So when we value baptism, strongly consider baptism as a form of identity. But second, consider baptism as a command of Christ. Consider baptism as a command of Christ. Turn with, with me to Matthew 28, just a few pages uh, away from uh, Matthew 3, if you were uh, there with me a moment ago. In Matthew 28, just as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he tells his disciples this in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in these verses, notice that Jesus is giving his church his final wishes, essentially. That as a church... This is what you are to do. The primary thing that a church is to do is to make disciples. And literally speaking, a disciple is like a student. It's a learner. And when we put that into the terms of the church, it is uh, a disciple is someone that is learning to follow Jesus. Someone that's learning to become more like Jesus. So here Jesus is telling us that as we do whatever we do as individuals and as a church, uh, as a corporate body, we are to make disciples of Jesus who learn to grow so that they may also in turn make more disciples. But how is the church to do that? Notice what Jesus says. By baptizing them and teaching them to follow Christ's commands. In most churches, we do really, really well at the teaching thing of who Christ is, what he has done, what that means for us, what are we supposed to do, how then are we supposed to, to live. And yet here, we are concerned with the fact that Jesus clearly tells the church that part of the uh, discipleship process is baptizing those who come to faith. And it is the church's man, if it is the church's mandate to baptize new converts to the faith, then logically speaking, it is the duty of the, those who come to Christ to be baptized in obedience to Christ. So this then is an un, 
uh, is an indication that an unbaptized Christian is an incomplete Christian. Not that they're not saved. Uh, biblically speaking, baptism is the fundamental act of obedience that we ought to do after conversion. Now, what I'm about to say might sound harsh, and I, I, I don't want it to sound harsh, but if we're serious about discipleship, then we need to come to grips with this. That if you haven't been scripturally baptized, whether con by consciously rejecting it or by being ignorant of it, you're living in disobedience to the command of Christ. Christ says it is sin to know what to do and to not do it. Again, we're not saying that you're saved by baptism or that baptism adds anything to the accomplished work of Christ. But as Christians, we understand that we don't get to pick and choose which commands of Christ we, we follow and which ones we don't. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And baptism is one of those. And one of the major objections that I, that I know that people will bring uh, living in the land of, of Lutherans and Catholics would be this. Um, but I've already been baptized as an, in, as an infant. So what does that mean? Where does that place me? To which I would again point you to the words of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them. And you can you know, go on with the rest of the verse. Who is the church to baptize? disciples not infants jesus didn't say go and make disciples and baptize their children in the name of the father son and the holy spirit he said go and make disciples and baptize them people who have already been at an age where they have a credible profession of faith and that's followed up uh, in the new testament unless you severely speculate and even bend the scriptures there's not one instance of, in the New Testament of an infant being baptized. It's all believers. So how does that challenge us? Because the Word of God ought to challenge us. It challenges those of us who have trusted in Jesus and have not yet been baptized. It challenges us with the question, why haven't I? What am I waiting for? What is it that is, that is holding me back? It's a serious question that warrants serious consideration. And also, this challenges those of us who come from a faith tradition in which you were baptized as, as an infant. It challenges you to consider the words of the Lord. I, I totally understand where your mind may be because I've been there. I was raised Catholic. The parents that had you baptized were good parents with good great intentions for you. I don't want to diminish the sincerity of their desire for you in that act. We thank God for parents who loved you and wanted to raise you to know and love and, and respect and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But consider Jesus' words that baptism is clearly reserved for those who have trusted in Christ. And this text challenges you to consider being scripturally baptized. Uh, it's not asking you to renounce your family or your tradition. Um, if anything, it is the fulfillment of what your family's desire was for you, even as a child, to walk in the ways of the Lord. Um, as we saw a few weeks ago in 1 Samuel, Samuel said that to obey is better than sacrifice. 
So consider baptism also as a command of Christ. And finally, we should consider baptism as a proclamation of the gospel. This is perhaps the most familiar image then that, that we have uh, as, uh, as um, uh, evangelicals of what baptism is. That it is the public proclamation of what Jesus has done privately inside our heart. It's not just a religious ritual or an introductory rite into the church. It's a gospel witness to the world of the power of the gospel. And you can look with me in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, if you want to follow me in there, again, it will be on the screen. But in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, Paul, I have it here somewhere, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes this. You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So when a, a baptismal candidate comes into the water, there is typically a verbal um, profession. Uh, Dave and I, when we've done it, we've asked the candidate a question, you know, do you, you know, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead? And and so on and so forth. And after which, the baptizer, which is usually a pastor, but there's no biblical reason why it has to be a pastor, um, dips them backwards and completely submerges them underwater. And this is uh, because, first of all, the Greek word for baptize literally means to immerse, to submerge. And second of all, Again, the, the plunging underneath the water is symbolic of death. I've had a couple of people in my ministry that have been absolutely terrified of water. And that has, uh, it almost precluded them from being baptized. And they would say, Pastor, I just don't know if I want to do it because I, I don't know how to swim. And water terrifies me. To which my answer to them was, that's the point. The point is that it is supposed to be scary because death is a scary thing. Remember, I almost drowned. I know how scary it is to be in the middle of nowhere when uh, you're running short on gas. But in baptism, you are showing the world what happened to you when you met Jesus. That old person is now dead is buried. He is gone. That's why Paul says you were buried with him in baptism. If you pay close attention, again, there's identity tones, uh, overtones going on there. But in baptism, we're not to stay underwater, thankfully. We don't say, oh, you're not down enough. No. You go down, and then you are lifted up, not to show survival, but to show that you have a new life. You are resurrected in Jesus Christ. You are not who you used to be. In showing this, you are agreeing with what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2 in verses 13 and 14. He made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Because baptism is a proclamation by definition it can't be a public it can't be a private thing i had a lady in my last church that wanted to become a member 
and there were a whole host of issues that were also added to this. But we asked her about her baptism. And she said, oh yeah, I was baptized once um, by such and such random Christians. It wasn't part of a church. And I said, well, where, you, where were you baptized? Oh, they baptized me in my bathtub. <sighs> okay. It wasn't under the authority of the church. And so that, among many other issues, we just weren't able yet to, to welcome her into uh, membership. Um, because baptism is a once-in-a-lifetime public declaration telling the world, I was lost and now I have been found. I was blind, but now I see. All glory be to him who loved me and freed me from my sins. It is identifying with Christ because he identified with you. It is identifying with the church because the church has identified now with you. It is telling the world that you want to follow Jesus even if it takes you out of your comfort zone of being dipped in water and being brought back up in front of other people. Wherever you're at, consider baptism. Or at the very least, show, uh, to show the world that, the, that Jesus is your Lord. That he is your Savior. And that you're not ashamed of the gospel. You know, that summer night when I was basically spread eagle on a sheet of uh, goose poop <laughs> uh, after narrowly escaping death, it was embarrassing. But yet I had friends there, and I had a friend who was there to help me through it, and I had my life. Jesus did not lay on a layer of goose poop after narrowly escaping death. Rather, he embraced death, drinking it all the way to the dregs. He was stretched out naked and nailed to a cross. And as far as we know, there wasn't a hint of embarrassment. Rather, the book of Hebrews tells us that he despised the shame. Three days later, he rose from the, from the grave, proving his victory over sin and death. So why, this, why is this discussion important for us? It's because Je had Jesus not identified with us in baptism... He wouldn't have identified with us in death. And without that, there would be no hope of resurrection. But as it is, when Jesus entered the cold waters of the Jordan, he was looking forward to you and to me, and he was saying, I am one of you. I am with you. And in turn, when we come to faith in Jesus, we are to enter the waters of baptism and say to Jesus, I'm yours. We are submerged in that death and brought up in newness of life. And when we consider all that baptism is and what it means, perhaps the biggest question for you today is why not get baptized? Friends, we have a wonderful Savior. Why not identify with him? Why not follow in obedience to his commands? And why not show the world the beauty of the gospel in your life? Why not consider baptism?